Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewertz, Vice President of the North Star Meetings Group Sports Division and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our guest on this episode is David Carter, a national authority on sports business and strategic marketing and the author of four books about the sports business industry. He founded the Sports Business Group in 1999, following more than 10 years of consulting for the sports and entertainment industries, and he's an adjunct professor. Professor of Management and Organization at the University of Southern California Marshall School of Business with an emphasis on sports. But most importantly for this discussion, he's nearly 40% complete with his own personal sports event bucket list, attending events around the world with a friend with more events still to come. We're going to talk with Carter about how the project got started, what events are on his list, how he's knocking them off the list, and what lessons he's learned along the way so far. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports events industry. Teams 23 should absolutely be on your bucket list of sports industry conferences to attend. It'll be held in the Palm Beaches of Florida at the Palm Beach Convention Center, October 2nd through the 5th, the 25th year of the conference. And this year's conference will once again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. You wouldn't be much of a sports fan if you didn't have a bucket list of events that you want to see in person before you, well, kick the bucket, as it were. While plenty of people talk about such a list, few of us write it down, and even fewer of us set out to actually accomplish it. And that makes David Carter a bit unique. A veteran observer and consultant to the sports events industry and an adjunct professor at USC, where I first met him years ago, Carter has put his list to a spreadsheet with ground rules about what events he'd like to see and where. No country can be visited twice. No sport should be watched twice. These are just some of the ground rules. But the effort also comes with considerable planning and more than a few lessons about why you should put some thought into planning your own list should you try to tackle it. In this conversation, we talk with Carter about what he's learned some nine events into his own list of 25 events and what observations he has about today's hottest issues and trends in sports events. We hope you enjoy the conversation. David Carter, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Thank you very much, Jason. Happy to be with you. Yeah, it's great to connect with you, David. You know, it's been a number of years since we uh, recently reconnected and back you know, of course, Sports Travel Magazine has its origins in the Southern California area in Los Angeles when we started. And when I was living out there, I had the chance to attend a couple of events that you had put on in your capacity at the University of Southern California. And, uh, you know, those were great events uh, back then. And I know, obviously, you've been involved and engaged in in sports management ever since and, and for quite a long time. So it's, anyway, it's just nice to connect with you again, David, and, and have this conversation. Yes, I appreciate that. It really has been a, quite a while off and on, and you guys have continued to scale and grow. It's been really impressive to follow as well. So uh, this is just a great opportunity. And I really appreciate it. Excellent. Well, before we get into uh, sort of the main topic that I want to chat with you about, you have launched a, a rather ambitious and fascinating project for your own personal bucket list of, of sports events that you are attempting to uh, to tick off the list. Let's just start with a, a little background on you, David, for those that are not familiar with you. Obviously, I mentioned uh, your involvement at, at USC, but I know you uh, have your hands in a number of things. So uh, give me a little background on uh, kind of your, your history and how you got involved in, in sports and sports management. Yeah, happy to. I've been involved in this sports business strategy space for about 30 years. And when I started, it wasn't really much of a thing, so to speak. 
But now you look forward, so much money involved in it. You're starting to see, obviously, big brands involved, media companies spending billions of dollars, municipalities. Everybody seems to be involved in it right now. And as you mentioned, I'm involved in the academic space. I also get involved in building businesses and sitting on boards. And I also do a fair amount of strategy consulting work to include things like serving as an expert witness in sports trials. So keeps me really busy. There's a lot of variety. And you're starting to witness some of the evolution right in front of us, name, image, and likeness in college sports and who owns their intellectual property, a big issue. The evolution of gambling and the money that's coming from that and some of the societal issues that continue to arise, another big topic that comes up quite frequently. And you know, everybody's wrestling with what to do about streaming and, and these new media platforms. So from a sports business standpoint, it remains just as dynamic as ever. And so I find myself in a, in a pretty admirable spot, uh, just given how interesting and, and dynamic the industry is. Yeah, I think all of those topics you just hit on, David, we could have a conversation for for probably hours on, on each of them. And I sort of would like to have that conversation with you, but uh, we'll, we'll keep that for a, a separate episode moving forward. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that we connected recently, David, you'd reached out with a project that you're involved with that sounds just very intriguing and interesting to me right off the bat. And I think our audience of uh, event organizers and, and destinations and venues that, that host sports events will immediately click on. I think Everyone has their own personal bucket list when it comes to sports events that they would like to see, or maybe that they have. And you have embarked on an endeavor to actually make something like that happen, which is very intriguing to me. So let's uh, let's kind of jump in here about the project that is occupying at least some of your time and probably the most exciting moments of your time and your travels. Uh, this notion of a of of the bucket list that you are ticking your way down. Tell me kind of how this started and, and what it is, and let's talk a little bit about it. Sure. It's evolved a little bit, as many of these bucket lists do, but it, it really began with baseball many years ago. I had finished visiting all the major league baseball parks with my daughter. Uh, my best friend of 40 years had become quite disgruntled that he and I weren't doing anything quite as fun as that. So we got together and, and hatched this crazy idea of why don't we try to participate, enjoy, visit, attend, 25 of the most preeminent or iconic sporting events in the world before we turned 75. So we dubbed it 25 by 75. We started, obviously, when we were just about 50. And uh, it has just taken on a life of its own. And uh, I, first of all, identifying 25 events takes a lot of discussion, a lot of agreement, a lot of debates. And then you know, figuring out the cadence, when to go, where to go, all of that takes a lot of time. So it seemed like you could pull it off on the back of a napkin, uh, but now it's turned into spreadsheets and uh, uh, long-form calendars and, and trying to figure out budgeting and, and everything else once reality seeped into this notion of visiting all these events around the world. So let's uh, let's break this down a little bit. You know, you mentioned 25 events. Did you go in with a, a list of 25 right off the bat that you guys agreed to that would be sort of your list you know, over these next few years? Or is there room for that to adapt? Well, how, how did you even approach your own list? We started just by cataloging uh, in a brainstorming type session, these major events all over the world. We then began to kind of put them in different categories, motorsports, stick and ball sports. And, and then we also tried to figure out, well, what are some of the most amazing global events that people want to go to that are uh, have a very strong sports theme to them, but not may not be a sports event proper? Like, the running of the bulls in Pamplona, for example. So there are events all over the world that we thought were um, were very interesting. And I think 
uh, we said, well, wait a minute, we've got to kind of couch this in terms of uh, some amazing domestic events and then some really incredible international opportunities as well. And we kind of thinking, maybe we do about half and half domestic versus abroad. And we were also then concerned, well, if we do that, we don't want to focus too much on any one sport. You know, football is big in, in the U.S., but we want to go to three football games. We don't want to go to a Super Bowl and a you know a couple of other games or or what have you. And so we started to curate the list by narrowing it down and further partitioning things by saying, okay, maybe we should just see each sport once. Maybe we should just go to each country one time other than the United States. And the more we thought about it, we said, well, wait a minute, this is 25 events we've got to knock out by the time we're 75. Shouldn't we do the most grueling ones first? Because then we always kid each other that the other one's not going to make it. So I'm, we're doing <laughs> it's a reasonable though. concern. It is a reasonable concern. But the other thing we started to do, and we were one night uh, uh, enjoying a few adult beverages in Moscow when we were there for the World Cup final, we realized we needed a succession plan. What happens if one of us doesn't make it? And I know it's not going to be me. So who's going to fill in for my buddy? And he would say, well, who's going to fill in for me? Who's going to fill in for you? So we started on kind of mini draft board. And as, you know, fast forwarding a little bit, as some of these other guys have wanted to join these trips with us, we've had four or five different guys join these trips. They don't realize when they do that, that it's really an interview, that if something happens, they might get drafted to fill one of these spots. So, you know, we try to knock out the most grueling events early on. But I think what's really worked for us is we immerse ourselves in the experience. We went to the Iditarod. We were able to get involved and go sledding uh, out in the middle of nowhere and understand what it's like to be leading one of those uh, one of the dog sleds. It's really remarkable to do that when it's freezing and you are just really in a remote area. At the Ironman uh, in Kona for the triathlon championships, we volunteered. We tattooed the athletes. We handed out water and so forth. And at the Iron Bowl for Auburn, Alabama, which we went to last November, we actually flew into Atlanta, rented a motorhome, and then parked it on the Alabama campus for a couple of days uh, with everybody else that was tailgating. And so the key has always been, is it a great event? Is it preeminent? Is it iconic? But what can we do to really immerse ourselves in it and really have a great time? Because just going to a game it is fun, but the overarching event makes the difference. Well, you mentioned uh, the running with the bulls, so there's no more immersive event, uh, I suppose, than that. But yeah, uh, we talked about a couple of specific events. So let's be clear. How many so far have you been able to, to knock off, David? How many have you done? We have uh, cleared nine of the 25 so far, and our 10th event is coming up in July. We're going to that men's final in Wimbledon. So we'll spend a week in Wimbledon Village and, and really just see and participate and feel what, what it's like to be on the ground there for a week. Excellent. So everyone, of course, has their own personal bucket list. And and if we asked everyone to take a part in this exercise, you'd probably get uh, you know infinite number of combinations of lists. So let's talk about the the ones that you've already been to. Uh, we mentioned a few of them in passing, but I'm sure those who are listening would be curious to know kind of where you started. And you talked about the notion of getting the hard ones out first. So uh, so walk me through uh, where you've been so far. Yeah, and and to your point earlier, Jason, it's still a work in progress in terms of changing our minds going forward. And what we didn't want to ever do is look back and say, oh, I wish we hadn't done that event. I wish that hadn't uh, taken up that spot. And we, we've had such a great experience. A lot of people ask, which of the events of the nine have you liked the most? And, you know, I, I, I hear the, the saying all the time, it's kind of like your children. You don't have a favorite. They're all different because you can't compare running of the bulls, which we've done 
with attending the Iditarod or going to Lambeau Field. Uh, we were fortunate, as I talked about, going to the World Cup final in Moscow and, and being in that stadium to watch France and Croatia, just kind of the pinnacle of a whole bunch of things going on in the world. We were able to go deep sea fishing 70 miles off the coast of Panama with a, a handful of us. We had an, uh, an island set up where my buddy said it was it was Ritz-Carlton meets Survivor. Uh, <laughs> we had everything we needed, but it was exceedingly remote. Uh, the Ironman finals, we discussed the Kentucky Derby. Uh, had a box of the Kentucky Derby a couple of years ago. Made it to the Masters in 2022. The first time they were really back to a full crowd, you know, full number of patrons at the facility. We, uh, as I mentioned, also went to the Iron Bowl last uh, last football season. And here we are with Wimbledon coming up. And so it's pretty interesting that you go to the Masters and then to an Alabama-Auburn football game and then to Wimbledon. And so each of these are so wildly different that uh, there are just very few commonalities other than, you know, having to navigate airports and, and the occasional language barrier. Right now, yeah, no eagles flying down at the uh, Wimbledon finals, at least not on, not on purpose. That's, that is correct. <laughs> So one question, obviously, I have for you, David. Uh, others may uh, as well, but uh, if you'll allow, I mean, how how are you funding this? Are you all just uh, sort of saving up as the years go on? I mean, some of these, of course, are wonderful experiences, but we all know in the sports industry that uh, you know, for a regular Joe to go to some of these things, they uh, doesn't come without a cost. Well, you know, Jason, that was part of our problem. We we uh, we hatched this thing, as I said, basically on the back of a cocktail napkin. And unfortunately, the back of the cocktail napkin was full, and we didn't really have room to write down, hey, how much do we think this is going to cost? And we will, we'll knock them out one at a time. We'll, we'll visit and revisit, and we'll sort it out. And so we didn't uh, – I'm a business guy. And one of the first things you do is come up with a budget. You know, my, my buddy George, my colleague, uh, my co-partner in crime is in real estate. He's also a business guy. So two of us sitting there uh, compiling this list. I really didn't think about budget. So I think if anybody's thinking about something like this, understanding the cost is probably rather important. So we've been entirely self-funding it along the way. Fortunately for me, it's partially a business expense based on what I do for a living, which, which is helpful, but yeah. you know, not the reason for taking or, or, or deciding not to take a trip. Industry colleagues, as we've gotten more into this, industry colleagues have wanted to pitch in along the way. Hey, maybe we can get you better tickets or discounted tickets or when you're over there, you know, you got to catch up with my, my colleague uh, in town. And so it, it's kind of taken on a, a, its own look and feel with people wanting to pitch in. But now we have this sponsorship deal in place with Bucket List Events out of Austin, Texas. And we've used them for many trips. We've used them, I think, for four of our nine so far and got along really, really well. Very good uh, vibe and a cultural fit for both of us. And so they don't like cover a portion of our costs, but really importantly, they help us see around corners. They've been to a lot of these events and to have an advocate for you, someone that understands the marketplace, even though we do a ton of research and, and we get prepared for these trips because they are time consuming, they are expensive, and you don't want to make a mistake. To have another set of eyes, professional eyes that will say, look, when you're there, take a look at this for us, or when you're there, avoid going here. This might not be as good of a use of your time as most tourists think it is. So they are uh, really providing some important over-the-shoulder guidance in addition to underwriting a portion of our costs. And so knowing that, we believe that it might be additional sponsorship opportunities down the road from apparel companies or food and beverage or others. But we're not doing this to make money. We're not even doing it to break even. 
Um, but to the extent people are interested in getting involved, you know, who are we to say no? Uh, and I think the more events we've been to, the more we're starting to see what we've termed as this Gawker class, this 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 individual or this um, this group, whether they're my students or their business colleagues or whomever, have constantly said, "Well, tell me more. I can't believe you did that." And they're living vicariously through us. And I think that allows us to maybe secure some additional sponsorship as we go. But honestly, if it doesn't, that's fine too, because we're not going to change what we're doing. Uh, we're not going to have anybody dictate, well, you're not going to go to that event. Maybe you should go to this one because this is where we like you to go. We're going where we want to go. We're going on our terms and we're not going to have cameras behind us. We're not going to be posting and live streaming and all that. We're we want to make sure that it stays true to the integrity of what we thought we wanted to do in 2016 when we started. Yeah, well, look, good for you for getting uh, some support. Obviously, you're you know you live in a business school as well, so you know how the, the economics work. But uh, you said a couple of things there, David, that I think people in the sports industry certainly can relate to. Uh, sports, like any other business, that obviously helps to know people who can point you in the right direction, whether that's uh, people on site at an event or as you're describing, people who have been around the block a bit when it comes to traveling to these things. I think that's uh, that certainly goes a long way for anything you're doing, whether you're knocking off 25 uh, events on your list or even going to one single event that means a lot to you. Uh, I think that that resonates quite a bit. Obviously, curious sort of what's next. We talked about the ones that you've been to, and I know that your particular list may be uh, malleable uh, to an extent, but what's you know what's upcoming. What are the next couple of ones that you've identified? You, you you know you and your associate that are absolutely on your bucket list. Well, I think I think you're right to to kind of say what's what's on deck. Things may change. Obviously, with COVID, we had to move some furniture around and ultimately didn't lose much time. But we had to reshuffle some domestic for some international events. Uh, but right now, we're looking at uh, after Wimbledon this this uh, July, uh, heading to Paris for the Olympics next summer. We're really keen on getting the Tour de France. But to my earlier point, we can't do that in France. We've got to do that in some country in the Alps that is not France uh, in order to stay true to us not visiting the same country twice. But we're also opportunistic along the way. If there's a really interesting and amazing uh, World Series Game 7 between a couple of big brands and big market teams that we like, uh, we will certainly be wedging those in as well. I, I suppose that if the Lakers and the, and the Celtics had made the NBA finals, you know, we may have found ourselves to a game seven of the finals, but probably not if it's uh, you know, Denver and Miami, for example. Hey, now I, so, I live in Denver. So Denver, Miami has the same, <laughs> the same prominence to me at the moment that, that uh, Boston and LA would have, but that's the, that's the fun part of being a fan of, of sports. You never know where your allegiances might lie or, or, you know, Someone might have the you know Nuggets heat on their on their bucket list, where someone else, of course, would have uh, Lakers Celtics. I know that that's actually yeah, very true, and it's also a function of where do we grow up. We're both from Los Angeles, you know, kind of grew up on the Dodgers and grew up on the local teams. Although I don't know that we're uh, huge fans, so to speak, but you know, we continue to to try to you know curate and refine this list uh, both domestically and abroad. And so things you know like the Indy Five Hundred are certainly on the list. We want to get to a great college basketball game. You know, maybe it's a you know Duke and, and North Carolina, but but again, being opportunistic, we want to wait and see what that what that big event turns out to be. You know, internationally, we're thinking about visiting the All Blacks. We're looking at uh, making sure we get a chance to see curling somewhere in Sweden or possibly Canada, two countries we haven't been to yet. Always an opportunity, depending on where America's Cup is going to be contested, that we would hit that. And so the list goes uh, really goes on and on. Formula One racing, 
you know, down in Palermo and Argentina, the World Polo Championships uh, are an amazing uh, event, cultural and sporting event and so forth. So you know, we're going to continue to tick them off. To your point earlier, we probably started with a good 50 events and we've just whittled them down and eliminated others and, and added others that we think have this amazing feel to them, this amazing cultural identity, like being able to, to go and watch sumo wrestling live, going and seeing those championships that take place six times a year. What would it be like to, uh, to be there for, for a week and just see what that's all about? And so you know, we will move uh, some of these events around, but uh, that's part of the allure. We don't exactly know where we're going to go next. It's scripted usually only about one event, maybe at most two events in the future. Yeah. And uh, I love the, uh, the, I mean, they call sports fans fans for a reason. Of course, you have to have a little, uh, be a little bit fanatic about things. That's part of what I love about this particular project, David. You mentioned, you know, if you go to the Olympics in France and you want to see the Tour de France, you got to uh, check out a, a stage of the Tour de France and some other part outside of the country just by your own rules. And I think everyone who would uh, come up with a list would have the the same uh, amount of, you know, mild amount of craziness about the, uh, you know, the, the ground rules of, uh, of putting together a list. Yeah, well, I don't know that it's crazy as much as it is just really thoughtful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a fair point. Fair point as well. Um, have there been any things so far in the events that you've been to that have uh, surprised you and that they were just wildly off from your expectations, either better than you thought or uh, maybe not as uh, exciting as you thought it might have been you know, going into it? I think nothing major. Uh, I, I wouldn't say. I, I, I think a lot of business principles have certainly been reinforced along the way. You, know, you think about so much discussion these days about international relations and, and the topic of sport washing uh, and human rights and sports. And, and you, know, you can talk about that in the abstract, or uh, you can be walking around Red Square during the World Cup and see how uh, Russia and, and Moscow in particular had sanitized so much of that experience for visitors trying to. Uh, change or, or you know, perhaps uh, pivot from their their existing municipal or, or uh, countrywide brand. For example, you know, I, I think you you take a look at when we were in Pamplona running with the Bulls. What do we take away from it? Well, you have to have a great strategy. Uh, and the guys at Buckles Defense helped us with our strategy running uh, with the Bulls during that entire process. Where are we going to stand in the alley? What's our best chance of making it into the bullpen? How do you avoid getting trampled? It's all great. Uh, that is exceptional going, advice if you can get it. How to avoid being trampled? Yeah, yeah that's you know it, it doesn't just apply to Pamplona. I think it's a, <laughs> a life lesson. Um, and it all made sense until the bulls went past us, got spooked, and turned around and started running back towards us. Whereby we had bulls behind us, uh, and then we had bulls coming back at us. So you have a great plan, but uh, it was a little bit about crisis management meets uh, strategic planning uh, in real time. With everybody really, really frightened. But I think, you know, I think there's more to it. I think when, you know, I've been a, a, obviously involved in the business of sports for a very long time, and the, and the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta is just known as this really pristine, again, iconic global brand. But you don't really appreciate it until you walk through the gates on a Sunday morning and you consume it, you inhale it, you see what it's all about. And their incredible, unwavering approach to brand management from a business standpoint has really set them apart. And so we learned things that, to your point, may not have been surprises, but may have been more affirmations about what's going on in sports and and with these events and even with some of these 
uh, some of these countries. But you know, perhaps one of the reasons why nothing surprised us in a huge way is the amount of planning and recon we do in advance and the interference that gets run for us so that we don't make a, a really disastrous early decision that is uh, a mistake, whether that's where to stay, um, where you want to watch an event, uh, any of it, just kind of avoiding those really major self-inflicted uh, wounds early has allowed us to, to not have anything major go wrong. Yeah, well, you just touched on something I was going to ask you anyway, uh, as we talked about at the beginning. I think most sports fans uh, probably have their own bucket list, even if it's just in their head and not necessarily written down on paper, although I imagine some, uh, quite a few do have you know their very specific lists of things they'd like to get to. Uh, any advice, uh, you just talked about planning uh, and the, the need to plan ahead, but uh, any advice for, for those people who have you know similar ideas in their head of uh, you know knocking off their bucket list on how to actually get started and get it done? I think at a, at a very high level, I would say don't take our advice. Uh, <laughs> everybody's got to figure out what they want to do on their own, but but it can be very overwhelming. And I think you have to look at it like running a marathon. If you think about running 26 miles, it's a problem. But if you think about one mile at a time, if you think about one bucket list event at a time, whether that has to do with your calendar, your budget, whatever, you just have to knock over that that first um, domino. But but in order to then want to knock over a second domino, you have to have your your homework done. You have to take as much of the guesswork out of it as possible. I think what we've learned is you have to say, well, gosh, who do we know? Not just to rely on for access, but who do we know that can give us some quality recommendations? I'll tell you for Wimbledon, one of the individuals we've been relying on is the family whose house we're renting via Airbnb that live in Wimbledon Village. And they know what it's like when it's crazy busy and they know what it's not when it's, when it's not busy. They know which restaurants are not just touristy, but are really good. And so you can find that insight in a whole bunch of different ways. And I think I mentioned earlier about we try to immerse ourselves, get the full flavor of the event. I think one of the reasons we've really enjoyed this is we've been in the moment. We're not running around videotaping everything or, or with our phones, taking pictures nonstop. We're stopping and we're looking and we're enjoying and, and not worrying about what other people are going to think about it or how we're necessarily going to talk about or communicate what we've done. We just want to do it and be part of it and, and just really enjoy it for its own sake. And the minute we stop doing that, uh, the minute we're not prepared, the minute we don't access the information we need to avoid critical mistakes, then I think we do have some problems. But uh, look, in July, we'll be 10, we'll be 40% of the way through this in July, and there's no turning back. No, it sounds like, I think that's terrific. What a great uh, approach to it too. Of course, uh, we live in an age where uh, you uh, you have to take pictures of it or, or it didn't happen. And, and some people, we've certainly seen that. You see just some of the images of professional sports events and some of these moments where you know, it's just a, a sea of cell phones out there and you do wonder how much the people who are there are actually experiencing what they're seeing in real time. It's a, it's a, a valid point. But I think one of the things that, that is really uh, an exclamation point for that, Jason, is, you know, Augusta National does not allow cell phones on the golf course. So it, it takes, we were on the course, we walked 10 miles over 10 hours on that Sunday without our cell phones. The first half hour, you felt like you had lost something. The next hour, you were like, I think I'm going to be okay. And by the rest of the day, you were so happy and delighted not to be tethered to your phone and social media and everything else and texting everybody what just happened. It's really liberating. And so I think we continue to take that approach with us as we 
uh, as we move forward. And, you know, it's not a piece of advice for other folks because they want to do events the way they want to do them. Sure. We just know that's the right approach for us. Yeah, I, I, I think it's fantastic. And uh, as I said, when we first uh, connected recently, I just, I love the notion of it. And, you know, congratulations to you and 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 your friend for actually, you know, giving it a fair shot here. And as you said, you're 40% uh, along the way. So you're uh, more than a fair shot here. You're you're deeply embedded at this point. Yeah, we've got one foot in the boat and one foot on the dock. And so we're going to have to <laughs> kind of figure this out the next, uh, the next few years. And especially as he gets older, it's going to be a real problem. We're you know, we're trying to figure out, okay, do we need an aisle seat now? Do we need this? You know, what kind of shoes are you going to be wearing? Uh, not what we necessarily thought when we started it, but then, you know, that's all right. That's part of life. Yeah. Well, uh, in the closing minutes that we have uh, with you, David, if you'll uh, indulge, uh, you know, as we said at the outset, you've been a, a longtime observer of, of sports and, and sports business. Uh, you touched on a couple of things when we first started talking here with the NIL and, and obviously what's happening on the collegiate space has been extraordinary last few years. But just curious, uh, as an observer of sports, you know, if there are any trends that you're watching here on the sports event landscape, maybe in the next year or so that have your eye or things you're paying particularly close attention to? From a sports event standpoint, I think what has started to really take hold pre-COVID and now is is, is just going gangbusters is this the, the game itself, the contest itself, the concert itself is pretty cool, but it pales in comparison to the overall game day experience. What are you doing in and around the venue? What does the entire experience look like? And I think you're seeing especially younger people not as inclined to want to attend uh, a football game that increasingly takes all day. College football game takes many, many hours. You know, ditto for so many of these other major sporting events, and and the young people in particular are consuming and in, in snippets and, and short form content. And so you're watching these professional sports leagues and these events uh, begin to accommodate the next generation of fan. And a lot of that has to do with their game days themselves being more experiential. How are they going to integrate gambling? What kind of food and beverage options do they have at venue? What else can a family do when they're there? Because the husband or wife might not want to do what each other wants. And that might be separate from what the children are interested in as well. And so, you know, as the sports industry continues to really rebound, the demand for sport has, has come back much stronger than I thought. I was somewhat cynical that it would come back more slowly. Uh, you're watching to see this integration of sports and entertainment at venue, whether that venue be in Anchorage or Fairbanks, the Iditarod, or it's Pamplona, or it is you know, your Denver Nuggets hosting a, a couple of games against the Miami Heat. So there's that real focus on delivering digestible content to attract people who want to come to the venues and then give them uh, a menu of options to enjoy the game and not just go to watch nine innings, so to speak. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think we're noticing certainly the same trend. We see that uh, across the board at all events, even you know down to uh, you know mass participation races, marathons, and and the like that we you know talked about. Uh, the, the race isn't enough, particularly for the younger generation. You know, the studies are showing just there needs to be more to it, or you know, some sort of component uh, that's social or that's just beyond the the experience itself. And I think people do want to be more social coming out of COVID. They want to do it smartly. Uh, and, but I, I even think that that, that notion is going to, to lapse about doing it smartly. We had over 300,000 people at the Brickyard for the Indy 500. So there, there is a little bit of caution being thrown to the wind by, by sports fans that they were, you know, they have a lot of pent up demand. They weren't able to do a lot for a long time. And I think they're better balancing in their minds, maybe public health and social issues with the interest in attending a game of their choice. But it's like sports, like any other industry, you either adapt or you perish. And, and, 
Um, there are some real growing pains in the sports industry and the travel industry, and they're getting past them. And coming out the other end, you're seeing real interest in sports and in sports travel these days. Yeah. And uh, David, lastly, I guess, uh, and while I realize that academia is just one of the many things you do, but you're uh, involved in, you know, helping next generation of people who will be professionals in the in the sports industry. Any advice out there? Uh, you know, we do have students certainly who listen to this from time to time or, or people who are interested in uh, having a career in this particular part of the, of the sports world. Um, any thoughts or advice for those who are interested in pursuing all of this as a as a future obviously as, as we both know from different perspectives it can take you around the world and can be a wonderful thing yeah for sure and, and i see it both in the classroom but with clients and other people that i interact with that are that are younger they really need to up their game in terms of self-awareness i think things tend to revolve around them and if they're looking to work in the sports industry they need to have a broader perspective about what needs to be done by whom and when and they have to be kind of in their right place so a, a better self-awareness or a more comprehensive self-awareness is huge. And, and secondarily, I think part of that is the ability to communicate is what separates those that succeed in the industry from those that don't. There are subject matter experts that are amazing, but you need to be able to tell your story. You need to be able to defend your budget. You need to be able to communicate your marketing plan. And so I, I tell my students quite often that they're interchangeable. They come from great backgrounds, they're well-educated, they've got internship experience or at the graduate level, they've got great work experience many years before coming back to grad school. And so they're largely fungible. So what makes the difference? The difference maker is your ability to communicate and not in 140 characters, but your ability to really communicate, have adult conversations and know uh, who your audience is, who you're speaking to, who you're pitching and perfect those communication skills. So I think those things tend to be two areas where there's a fair amount of improvement that could come. Yeah, excellent. Well, excellent advice. Well, David, that's about the, the time we have. I think we're going to have to stay in touch here as you uh, continue down your list. Of course, I'm looking forward to the day when you've knocked them all off. And then we can have the uh, the full recap, but let's connect before then uh, as you go about your your journey. And you know, congratulations to you for even attempting all of this. Uh, you know, it's a, it's quite a big endeavor. And uh, as I said at the outset, I think uh, in the back of every sports fan's mind is some sort of bucket list as well that they have dreams of of knocking off but we know that not everyone gets the opportunity to do it so uh you know it's it's terrific that you're giving it an honest effort and a, a more than an honest effort it seems well i appreciate that thank you and we'll be in touch maybe give you a debriefing after wimbledon excellent and if you need someone to come along on any legs of your journey uh -huh. of course let me know as well how are your ball boy skills? <laughs> I don't know. As a kid, they weren't bad. As uh, someone a little older, maybe not maybe not Wimbledon worthy, but uh, I don't know. I'll do whatever I need to to get in there. That's the spirit. All right. Thanks again, Jason. Really great being with you today. Yeah. Thanks, David. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports events industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at sportstravel on Twitter and Instagram, and at sportstravelmagazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gewurz for Sports Travel. Travel, and thanks for listening.